This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This week on Hangar Talk, what several FBO acquisitions. And on a sad note, we lost a beloved airshow performer. Speaking of losses, we have the final report on the fatal Dale Snodgrass accident. That's right. And Mark Baker testifies before Congress on the state of GA. And finally, what everyone's been waiting to hear, the new aircraft from Vans is the RV-15. Alyssa Cobb, are you ready to do some hangar talk? I'm ready. Let's get started, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, counterattack final 132.4. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. First, let me introduce everyone to Alyssa Cobb, my former boss and, and colleague. She is the Senior Director of Digital Media. Alyssa is also familiar to a lot of folks from AOPA Live. Alyssa, welcome, and thanks for sitting in for Ian this week. That's right. Thanks for having me. And Alyssa is a Cessna 170 tailwheel pilot, CFI, and an overall good person to know in the aviation industry. Alyssa, you're going to be at AirVenture too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going up this year. It's been a few years since I've been there, so I'm excited to be back and getting to see everybody and check out all the latest stuff that's there. I've got a little list I'm looking for, possibly. There you go. Well, we'll both be looking for different things that we can spend lots of money on. Listen, before we go too far down the show, let's make sure that everyone knows our special guest is going to be Gerald Herbert. He's a Cessna 172 pilot based in New Orleans, and our editors caught up with him a couple of months ago, and you can find out a little bit more about Gerald on the AOPA Magazine Destination Guide issue in March. So we'll hear a little bit more about Gerald as we get through the show, but First, let's start out with the first topic of the day. Let's talk about those FBO acquisitions. Alyssa, what do you know? Well, so Signature Flight Support acquired several TAC Air locations. I believe it expands their network by 14 across the U.S. And so Signature said for folks who have leases or pricing agreements with TAC Air that for now they're going to... Um, honor those, keep those the same during a transition phase, but Signature didn't really say how long that transition phase was actually going to last. And so this announcement, that came out earlier in July, and then just this week, Atlantic Aviation, another major FBO chain here in the U.S., announced merging and acquiring with Ross Aviation, and so they're going to operate under the Atlantic Aviation banner but now they're taking on three TAC Air locations. And so lots of moving and consolidating going on in the FBO industry, David. And I tell you, it's really important AOPA's 
transparency initiative with FBOs across the country to get those fees and prices out there for us when we're, you know, doing our pre-flight planning and stuff like that. So we can see, you know, ching, 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 what's going to, you know, add up when we make a stop. That's what I always like to hammer our, our uh, podcast listeners with the fact that how much is it going to mean for me, you know, as a as a pilot or a potential aircraft owner? You know, when I had my Mooney back at uh, PDK in Atlanta, Signature was the FBO there. You know, the tie-down rates were pretty good. Fuel was a little bit high, but the tie-down rates were pretty good. You know, we've also dealt with TAC Air. When we did that um, supply missions down to uh, Florida during several hurricanes, we were based out of Lakeland, and TAC Air was really nice and really helpful to us. So um, I'm a little bit familiar with TAC Air, and also Atlantic Aviation. That's another name a lot of us have seen. You know, Atlantic Aviation represents more than 100 FBO locations. That's quite a lot. And like you said, Alyssa, they included an acquisition of three former TAC Air facilities in Omaha and Nebraska and North Carolina and, and several other places. That's kind of two big sweeping changes in the FBO world. We always want to keep an eye on prices. We want to keep an eye on that transparency. Folks can go to our AOPA site and look at the airport directory and and click on an airport, click on an FBO and see some of those prices for fuel, for tie downs, landing fees sometimes. I always recommend people take a look at that or call the place up on the phone before you land there. That's right. Do your homework in advance, especially with all these changes. That's right. Well, moving on, Alyssa, you informed us of some sad news about Shockwave jet truck driver Chris Darnell. He was only 40 years old. It was a really popular air show sequence that he did. You know, he had a truck with jet engines on it. Tell us a little bit more about that. And we're, we're really mourning him. And so is the rest of the air show world. Yeah. So he was performing July 2nd at the Battle Creek Field, Field of Flight Air Show and had a mechanical failure and it caused his truck to, to crash during the performance and caught fire and, and he passed away. And just, uh, just a real tragedy. I know I personally have loved watching him perform for years at air shows and always amazed you know, you could hear the sound, the vibration. You could feel him as he was going by when he was, you know, racing the aircraft down the runway. And uh, but his truck, you know, had, like you mentioned, three jet engines. And I think it said 36,000 horsepower and 21,000 pounds of thrust. It could go 300 miles an hour. Just really impressive what he did and a, a big loss to the general aviation community and the air show circuit and for spectators all across the country who've watched him perform. That's right. And the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds flew a tribute to him when they performed the missing man flyover formation. So our um, our uh, sympathies go out to the family and, and we hope that they can get things back on the ground real soon. Speaking of accidents, we talked about this a couple of months ago. The final report um, by the NTSB was released on Dale Snodgrass's fatal accident. A lot of folks will know him from the Warbird community. He was highly regarded. He was well known. And he was in a Sia Marchetti SM109B aircraft. I wasn't that familiar with the aircraft, so we looked it up. It's a high wing with a pretty long nose on it and usually a turbine engine on the front of it. So the NTSB came out with that report. They determined that the probable cause of the accident was the pilot's failure to remove the flight control lock before departure. And if folks can recall, a lot of people 
were interested in a video that was posted, and he had a very steep departure and was um, and is evident that there was a loss of control there. That control lock immobilized the aileron and elevator, the NTSB determined, but it still allowed for near full movement of the rudder and tailwheel. And it also might have been difficult for the pilot to see what was going on there. And so that's yet another reminder to do even the most basic things. Like video producer Josh Cochran and I were flying yesterday in a Cessna 172, and we made double sure to check the flight controls on the ground and during the run-up. So there are a couple of times where you can check that, just go and wiggle it. Because, you know, if you're parking an airplane overnight or if it's on the tie-down and it's not in your hangar, a lot of times we'll put that control lock in there, and it's just one easy thing to do. You reach inside that aircraft, and on a Cessna, it's pretty easy to see. Other aircraft, it's more difficult. In Vans aircraft, uh, a lot of the RV lines, folks make their own control locks that go on the pedals and around the stick. So you do have to double-check just the basics before you get started. And listen, you know a little bit more about that, too. Well, you know, Dale was such an accomplished pilot, you know, 7,800 hours flight time. He had over, I believe it was 5,000 hours in the F-14, 1,200 carrier lane, very experienced pilot. But, you know, it goes to show that any of us can fall susceptible to, if we're in a hurry, Richard McSpadden, our, the head of our Air Safety Institute, he did a, a walk by, a walk through of the accident and the NTSB report on TikTok, our at Fly with AOPA TikTok channel, if you want to check it out and watch it. And he was going through explaining how folks were saying that Dale seemed a little bit more hurried then. And, you know, as we get more time and and stuff under our belts, we, you know, speed up our checks and things like that. But we've always got to really be careful to go back, make sure that we haven't missed something. And, you know, David, Richard gave three pieces of advice that he said folks in the GA community should follow, okay. kind of in Dale's memory and as a way to honor him and help improve safety. And it was fuel. So make sure that you check your fuel selectors in the right position, fire, check your magnetos or your electronic ignition, make sure they're set right, and flight controls. So I do a box the controls kind of thing, just make sure everything is moving and free and working. So we can remember that relatively easy. I'm going to give us more acronyms for us to digest real quick. How about the three Fs? The three Fs, like the, the three Fs of Foxtart will be fuel, fire, and flight controls. And, and speaking of fuel, I'm going to admit, Josh Cochran, Josh and I took off yesterday out of Cape Fear, North Carolina, and we filled up the aircraft with uh, fuel at an intermediate stop, and we put the Cessna on the left tank because a lot of times you don't want the fuel to transfer when you're filling it in. And we were flying along for about an hour or so, and Josh looked in and said, oops, I think we forgot something, and we had forgotten to put the fuel selector back on both. Yet another reminder, if we had those three Fs, we probably would have picked up on that. Yeah. All right, so moving on, let's talk a little bit about AOPA President Mark Baker. He hit Capitol Hill. He was on the Hill with Congress yesterday testifying on the state of general aviation. He was among several GA leaders who informed Congress about the current state of the industry. And we have a little bit more to, to say about that, you know, Aviation is going pretty gung-ho right now in the GA world, but we still have some challenges to speak of. A lot of folks are seeing some travel delays uh, while they're traveling, not just GA, but, you know, in the commercial world, 
But Mark brought some of these challenges to the forefront yesterday when he testified before Congress. Alyssa, what do you know about that? You were, you were watching that as it unfolded yesterday live, and I think you've got some great insight. Yeah, so Mark was one of the early leaders to testify before Congress yesterday. And, you know, he, he rightly started with the positive things that are going right in GA, and that's our safety record. Okay. He pointed out that, you know, after the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic and flight time started picking back up, that the community we really picked back up in a safe way. 2021, that fiscal year, we had the safest year ever with a fatal accident rate of just 0.74 accidents per 100,000 flight hours. That's a great improvement. That's huge. That's right. Really hammer. It's great to hammer, especially before, you know, folks in, in leadership positions who aren't familiar with general aviation, just how safe we are as a pilot community. I think a lot of that it might be due, Alyssa, to some of the modern advances that we have in, you know, at our fingertips. We're looking at weather that we have right on, right on the screen. We have PDAs with weather on them. We also have things like, well, we have angle of attack indicators that we're able to put in aircraft now, too. So we have a lot more at our fingertips to control some of our safety. I just thought that that was a significant advance in, in one of the things that I harp on all the time, which is be a safer pilot. I'm hoping the FAA lets a lot of this stuff get into the cockpits quicker rather than hold on to it longer. So it's a step in the right direction. What else? Well, you know, he also talked about the aviation workforce challenges. So, David, I know you've covered for us extensively the Boeing pilot and technician outlooks. And so it's no surprise to you just how great the demand is that we have for, for folks. And so he highlighted those challenges and also what AOPA is doing to try to help with our AOPA, you can fly high school STEM curriculum, getting in at the high school level, getting teenagers interested in aviation. And, you know, we're already in 44 states across the U.S. And so really, you know, set up a nice problem solution kind of kind of scenario there for Congress. And speaking of the high school initiative that we have in, in the curriculum for ninth to 12th graders, a lot of those teachers were here at AOPA just a few weeks ago. Ian and I talked about that on the last show. They were here. Several of them went on flights in GA aircraft. They were so pumped and so excited. But you're right, Alyssa, that that initiative to refill the pilot ranks and the mechanic ranks and even drone pilots, we need a lot of that. It starts at the high school level or maybe even in middle school. I don't know. So it's it could, never too early, right? That first flight as a child. <laughs> that's right. That's a, And I know you've been participating in some of that with your own kids as well. So that's something a lot of our members and a lot of our podcast listeners and our YouTube viewers can do on their own. Give a young person a ride, talk to young people, encourage them to get into aviation and help rebuild those ranks. It looks like there's going to be a lot more to discuss from what Mark talked about on the Hill. Don't forget, we have another bill that was out there. Actually, sorry, another initiative that's out there, the National Center for the Advancement of Aviation, which has the full support of the entire industry and several other initiatives, including aviation fuel and the, and the rush to get leaded fuel Let's get the lead out of fuel. That's right. Mark reiterated AOPA's commitment, the industry's commitment, actually, to a safe, smooth transition to an unleaded fuel. He pointed out that he's the co-chair of the EAGLE initiative, and that stands for the Eliminate Aviation Gasoline 
lead emissions and what we're doing as an industry to commit to have lead out of our fuel by 2030. And don't forget, listeners and viewers, you can go to aopa.org slash 100UL for the latest on the unleaded Avgas initiative and keep up to speed with that. And we'll be right back. Well, moving on, Alyssa, let's talk about the thing that everyone wants to know about. Well, AirVenture's coming up, and Vans Aircraft, you know, the maker of, uh, of home-built aircrafts, has, have unleashed a video that shows a high-winged Vans RV-15 prototype aircraft, and it's the first high-wing that they released. It's interesting that, that it's a high-wing design. A lot of folks had speculated that it would be a high-wing design for the RV-15, and we have a little bit of intel from Dave Hirschman of what he speculated is powering this aircraft and how many seats it has. So Dave, you know, is a huge fan of Vans aircraft. He's probably flown just about every model that they've made. And I know he's been really interested in seeing the RV-15 unveiled. And so he watched this and he said, you know, by the sound of it, Sounds like a Lycoming. He speculates it's the IO390, which is a 210 horsepower model, and thinking it's a Hartzell constant speed prop on there. And uh, then even by the windows in the airplane, he's guessing it's at least a four-place airplane. And so because you got the back windows there for your for your guests and passengers to look out of. Good point about that engine. That's where I got momentarily confused. That engine is also in use in the RV14. So that three that 390, that's a really powerful four-cylinder engine. And there are other aircraft that use that engine too. Uh, there's a there's a Piper Super Cub on steroids, more or less, that uses that engine as well. So we've seen that in a few other experimental aircraft. The other thing to note is that that wing, that wing looks like a, a typical Vans wing. And uh, it's got that constant cord look. It's similar in appearance to other Vans models that uh, Dave, he really scrutinized that video. And uh, and the day, the day it was released, actually, he came over to my house for a little barbecue and I asked him about it. I said, you know, what do you know about the, the Vans RV15? Because he's been trying to get on top of that for a while. I was uh, he's going to be one of the one, the first ones in the media to want to be able to fly that. We're hoping he will be. And as you said, he's had all those different Vans models. Uh, I flew him up to, um, I guess, Maine. I think he picked up a Vans RV3. He's had a couple of Vans RV4 models. Vans RV8. RV10. RV10 that we gave away. And his mom had an RV10 for a while. And I didn't know this, a little known uh, Dave Hirschman fact, but he had a Vans RV6 for just a brief while. That's the side-by-side version. And uh, he prefers the front-back tandem-type design rather than side-by-side seating. It's, you know, the for him, the stick feels better in his right hand, controls for the engine and the left, and that's how true fighter pilots like to fly too, I might say. So um, we looked at a video. It was a, a pretty pretty short ground roll for that Vans RV15. Alyssa, are you getting ready to, to get on board and put a deposit down on one? you got four people in your family now. <laughs> we'll see what the price range comes out at, but uh, I'd say we'll be sticking with the 170 for a while. All right. Well, that sounds good. We have the RV15 top of our mind for coverage at AirVenture, so folks can check out our website, our, our video channels, and hopefully by then, fans will be able to release all the details, all the performance specs, everything that, that folks are wanting to know about that airplane. We're hyped and ready to share more information as soon as we can get it. 
Well, you brought up something that we should let our listeners and viewers know about. There's going to be a special AOPA pilot newsletter during EAA AirVenture Week, right, like we have done in the past. And when can folks expect that on what day? Yeah, so that's going to come out Tuesday of the show there at AirVenture, and it'll come out around midday to, to afternoon there. And so we're going to cover all the breaking news that's happened right there at the beginning of the show and kind of do a forward look at what folks can expect later on in the show from AOPA and, and at AirVenture in general. And we'll update the website every day. We'll probably have short news briefs, I'm guessing, let people know what's going on, what the, what, what the buzz is, if you will, and things like that, right? Yes, and people especially, you know, check out our social channels at Fly with AOPA. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, we're going to have a constant stream of content coming out through those channels as well to keep you up on the latest. All right. Well, look, let's, uh, I think it's time to introduce our special guest, Gerald Herbert of New Orleans. And we caught up with Gerald in March for the special destinations issue of the AOPA Pilot Magazine. We also had a video online. Gerald met his now wife, Lucy, through General Aviation. He's a Cessna 172 pilot based in New Orleans. Let's listen a little bit from Gerald's mouth to fly in New Orleans and the southeastern U.S., and then we'll come back and chat some more. My name is Gerald Herbert. I'm a photographer based here at the Port of South Louisiana. I fly a Cessna 172M, a 1976. And it looks like we're in a, um, a lounge, but what is this area we're sitting in right now? This is the lounge area of my hangar, which I use to entertain friends. My family can sit here while I'm prepping the plane. I got friends who come over, we'll cook cook out, we'll go flying, we'll cook out, and then have some cocktails after we're done flying. I've had class reunions here. It's a nice way to show people a piece of aviation that they normally wouldn't see. And you didn't put a lot of money into this, right? No, I bought the paneling at Home Depot. I bought the couches off of uh, Craigslist. I bought these coffee tables from a college student who was leaving town. The bar I've had since I graduated from college. I'm glad that bar can't talk. <laughs> My wife prefers it here, not in the house. Uh, I got a TV from the house. A lot of these things I acquired from the house that didn't have a place in the house. Anymore. How long have you had this hangar here? I've had this hangar for a little over a year. And we are where? We're at Port of South Louisiana Executive Regional Airport, which is in Reserve, Louisiana which is just upriver from New Orleans. I live in the New Orleans metropolitan area, and I live right between Lakefront and Port of South Louisiana. What is it like to fly over this area of the country? So, the whole reason I got my pilot's license and bought my plane was because I fell in love with a girl in Shreveport. And uh, after a lot of speeding tickets, driving back and forth on that five-hour drive, um, I decided I had a better way to do it, and I went and got my pilot's license and bought a plane, and uh, now I got to see my honey uh, pretty much any time I wanted, and uh, I scored uh, big 
boyfriend points with her. They We're still... now married. <laughs> and does she live here now still? Or t- she, she moved down. Her children were in school up there. And uh, once her daughter graduated from high school this past May, she sold a house the day before the graduation. We drove down the day of graduation, and we all live here now. So I work as a photographer for the Associated Press, and I used to cover the White House in Washington, and I used to fly on Air Force One. And I became so enamored with the plane and what it represented and what a privilege it was to be on it. Uh, I was chatting with the flight crew. One of them told me to get Microsoft Flight Simulator and download an Air Force One model, which I did. And so I learned how to fly planes on a flight simulator just as a hobby. And it wasn't until I moved down here to New Orleans and I fell in love with Lucy in Shreveport that I felt the need to get a plane. And so I was flying one day uh, with a helicopter pilot. We were on our way to a chemical plant fire to shoot aerials of it. And I told him my predicament. And the next thing I knew, I had an instructor lined up and a 150 rental. And I started my lessons. And before you knew it, I was a private pilot and I owned an airplane. and. The rest was history. And during that time, I've flown well over a thousand hours back and forth to Shreveport over the years, over five years, six years. Can we call it the love connection? It's the love connection. In fact, we named the plane the love bug. So, flying over this area of the country, what's it look like from the air? Southern Louisiana has some of the most gorgeous vistas and sunsets you've ever seen. And I lived in the Northeast for 28 years, and I've been all over the country, all over the world for my job. And every place has its own beauty. But the one thing about this place is the skies have a quality that's magic. The pastel colors of the sunsets, the cloud formations are pretty incredible because of the wet ground environment we have here. Storms pop up here and there. There's tremendous amount of cypress swamp and swampland around here. Massive birds that you have to avoid. You've got everything from herons and egrets to eagles and osprey and kites and all kinds of raptors. It's just a, a really incredibly beautiful thing to see. You can be flying over the swamp and see a flock of egrets down below the green environment. You can be flying over the Gulf Coast and you can see schools of dolphins. It just the plantations, the it pretty much everything you see is eye candy. I'll tell you, my, uh, my wife flies, uh, when my wife flies with me, she likes to fly low because she works all over the state and she knows all these communities really well. And, um, and she wants to sightsee them. She knows specific buildings. I like to fly high for the gliding distance. <laughs> but we compromise and we do some low-level flight. Some of the, one time I made a picture of these crawfish ponds that were smooth as glass and they were reflecting the clouds above. They looked like a Pink Floyd album. You know, there was like these beautiful obelisks of uh, clouds with dark earth around them. And, and uh, it's, it, it surprises you sometimes. So we're hearing some noises behind us that is um, clean up from the hurricane. Can you just quickly tell us how this area is doing after the October, uh, August hurricane? Yeah, Hurricane Ida hit here a few months ago. 
It was a Category 4 storm. It was the most powerful hurricane to hit the Louisiana coast in recorded history. The eye of the storm passed right through this community and hit this airport. The communities around here, Reserve Louisiana and Laplace, Louisiana, are ravaged. This airport miraculously was spared other than a little sheet metal here or there that was ripped off. We, we were very fortunate, but the community out here, they've all had to gut their own homes. All that noise you hear is the debris from gutting their homes. They're dumping it right here to haul it off to landfills. And it's been an ongoing process. And it's People still have not recovered, and they won't for a long time. Do they want people to come down, though, to come here? Yes, no question that it, the more people that come down and visit Louisiana, especially this region, the more tourism dollars will help them and the people who are suffering. I guarantee you, people in this community all work in the tourism industry. So it is a direct benefit if people come down here and appreciate the goodness that Louisiana has to offer. What's your favorite meal in Louisiana? Oh, my favorite meal? It's got to be my mother's crawfish etouffee. Nobody can make it like her. In fact, back when Paul Prudhomme was alive, I ate his etouffee in one of his restaurants, and I swear it didn't compare to my mama's. I'm staying away from the fried foods as I get older, but, I mean, we can get big, fat Gulf shrimp right off the boat for four fifty dollars a pound. And I can go to a market across the river and bring that home and boil shrimp just for appetizer, and then we don't even eat dinner because we're stuffed on the shrimp. There's crabs, there's crawfish. One of the new things here that's taking over is uh, Viet Cajun crawfish. And the Vietnamese community here who are fishermen and shrimpers, they put their spin, their, their, they'll boil it like Cajun seafood, and then they will put their own Vietnamese sauce on it with their own Vietnamese spices, and it is to die for. Very cool. One thing about this airport in southern Louisiana is you're going to be flying over swampland and large stretches of water. There's big lakes and the Chafalaya Basin itself is a large and inhospitable environment. So one thing pilots do around here is that they carefully flight plan to make sure that they're within gliding distance of roadways like the interstate or the state highways because if you're flying over that and your engine dies, if you go down in a swamp, it's a very hostile environment. They're densely packed with cypress trees, and uh, if it's going to take 24 hours to rescue you, if you survive, you better have a good survival kit just to keep yourself comfortable or you're going to come out pretty shaken. So pilots are very cognizant of that. We have our own unofficial departures procedures out of this airport to make sure that, that our plane's climbing well and we have altitude before we depart the area over the swamp. So it's just something to keep in mind when you fly in here. Just fly smart, stick near the roadways and you'll be fine. Before you came to this airport, you also flew out of um, New Orleans, kind of famous lakefront. Right. Lake lakefront lakefront airport? Yeah. Lakefront airport, like a lot of the airports in this area, are like small family communities. Everybody's friends with each other. Lakefront has its own charm because you're sitting on the lake you're seeing some of the most beautiful sunsets. You can see warning signs not to fly. One time we were gonna fly and we saw 
two water spouts forming over the lake and it answered our questions. We just went and got lunch in the terminal and <laughs> we flew another day. But the, some, of the, some of the views are really spectacular and you know the lake itself coming in on approach over the lake at night is just one of the most gorgeous landings you can ever do. I've done it so many times flying home from Shreveport at night and you can see that airport from 40 miles away at night and you just coast on in and it's like slow motion. It's just all black and you see the city lights beyond it and you just see this beautiful runway waiting for you. It's always a pleasure to fly in there. The FBO's there. Flightline First is an independent FBO that for there. All the pilots are usually hanging out in there one time or another, the local pilots. So you can, someone coming in will get good local knowledge from from the pilots just through the FBO right there. Uh, but Lakefront is just a, a unique and special place and you're a stone's throw from some of the best food and the best music you could ask for. And even if you're transient, even if you're just staying for a couple hours as a, as a rest over to get food, there's places within a few miles of the airport where you can have fantastic New Orleans Creole and Cajun food and be right back at the airport. I think if you're coming down here as a destination for a weekend, first thing I would say would be fast for a whole week so you come here very hungry because you're going to be very full when you go home and you're going to be five to ten pounds heavier, I guarantee. Special thanks to Julie Walker for helping conduct that interview. Well, Alyssa, what do you think about flying in Louisiana after hearing from Gerald? Oh, you know, it sounds like a beautiful place to fly. It sounds, I've never flown over large areas of swampland and stuff, so it sounds like definitely the special considerations for flying there, just like you would need to take if you were flying over you know, mountains or backcountry areas to be careful. But I tell you, I love that the love bug, they named it after he, you know, the connection with his wife. Now my husband, I actually met through my airplane. I needed a, a preheat one winter day and, and he wasn't flight instructing at that moment. So came over to do it and that's how we met. So it's always fun to hear those, those backstories. Absolutely. Well, you y'all had a very good Valentine's Day story, and we had a good one on Gerald Herbert and Lucy a couple years ago on AOPA.org. You know, when I'm flying over the swamps, and I've flown over the Okefenokee a few times in South Georgia, I think nowadays I'd have a personal satellite receiver on me and a lot of altitude underneath me. <laughs> So, well, that's all the time we have. We're going to wrap it up now. Listen, we want to thank our audio engineer, longtime audio engineer, Austin Hansen, as we head towards our seventh season of Hangar Talk. And special thanks to Alyssa Coffer sitting in for Ian. He'll be back soon. And Alyssa, can folks find us on other places besides AOPA.org slash Hangar Talk? Yeah, lots of other places. Actually, find us on YouTube, so youtube.com slash AOPA Live, and you can watch Hangar Talk, too, if you like, with some of the extra added enhancements there with video. And uh, if you have any suggestions for the show, send us a note at podcast at AOPA.org. All right. Well, maybe we'll see you next time, Alyssa. If not, I'll see you around the newsroom. 
Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.